Welcome to the Jesus Said Love podcast. This is a space where we talk about what it means to awaken hope and empower change. Listen, for over a decade, Em and I have been fostering relationships with men and women who've been impacted by the commercial sex industry. And it's through those relationships that Jesus Said Love was born. We figured it was time to talk about what this ministry has taught us and is still teaching us along the way. I promise it's going to be a place of conversation and story. And we hope you learn something new. Maybe you see something in a new way. Fun fact, you're going to hear music because Brett and I are musicians. Yep. We can't just talk. Nope. we got to sing and play too. We do. Here's the deal, guys. Our hope is that as you hear these stories, that you'll tap into your own story and that you'll be encouraged to live and love well like Jesus. Hi, Brett. Hey, Emily. We don't plan how we're going. You just said we're going to have banter, but we actually don't plan. We don't plan the banter. Whatever's supposed All to I know is uh, the kids are back to school. The kids are definitely back to school, and uh, Gus shows up in my car after the first day, which was yesterday, and says, Hey, Mom. Actually, you sounded like this. Hey, Mom, I had to go to the lunch office today. And I was like, oh, shoot. Don't talk like that again. That feels weird. You have Kermit the Frog in your throat. <laughs> and I know that sound. And it means one thing to moms when we hear that bubble in the back of our kid's throat. And that is strep, strep throat. Strep throat. So sure enough, I we head straight to urgent care. I was like, just go ahead and swab him. Just give him the workup. Swab him. It's amoxicillin. I hope it's strep. I'm pretty sure it is. And they said, yep, it's a positive. So, you know, first day down, he Off bites the running. dust. But I'm always thankful for it's strep because it's not a virus of some mysterious, yeah. you know, how long is this going to take? Give them the pills. Give them the juice. We're okay with we're that. Good. We're kind of, yeah. Well, I'm excited about today. So we're in part two of our series on demand. Yes. And when we recorded issue or episode number one... Um, we were just talking about demand, mm-hmm. but then after we recorded it, the Jeffrey Epstein thing happened over the weekend. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that today, uh, because, uh, I found myself by Sunday getting frustrated at the social medias mm. because more people were concerned about how this guy died. Mm-hmm. Right. So the story is he was, he hung himself. And he's on suicide watch. How does a guy on suicide watch hang himself? Well, then it's got to be a conspiracy theory. So then all of a sudden it's, you know, the Clinton people did mm-hmm. it. And then all of a sudden, no, it's the Trump people did it mm-hmm. because the president's the only one who has access to this jail and yada, yada, yada. And we're talking about all these things. And now all of a sudden we're missing the entire point mm-hmm. of why that joker was even arrested. It was mm-hmm. because of the the devastation that he brought to the lives of so many young girls. Mm-hmm over countless years. And so I wanted to make it a point to bring the spotlight back to that Mm -hmm. and to talk about addiction and to talk about even the guys we work with and stop demand. I mean, at the very beginning, I I, kind of thought, well, they're scumbags and losers and they do that. That was my thought going into our very first class. And then (laughs) I began to hear stories and I realized, okay, they did scumbag acts or they had scumbag (laughs) intentions. But I have yet, in the 150 guys that we've met, I've yet to meet someone who set out with their life to be a sex buyer Mm -hmm. or to be a sex addict or Mm -hmm. to be misogynistic or hateful or abusive towards women. Mm -hmm. There's a reason someone gets there. 
And so I'm excited about our guest today. We have with us yes. the great Dr. <laughs> Don Arderburn, who is a dear friend, but also an expert in this field of addiction. So Don, welcome to the Jesus I Love podcast. Thank you. I'm really glad to be here. One thing you don't know about Don is he used to, or we used to live on the street that he lives on. Correct. And we were neighbors. And we had a very heavy uh, social services neighborhood there for a while. That's true. I mean, really, the Singletaries were across the street from us. He's now the dean of school of social work. You know, at Baylor University. At Baylor University, you know, Arta Burns were ho- holding down the counseling fort on that end. <laughs> we were somewhere headed out to strip clubs and doing our part there. And uh, meanwhile, that well, I, I better not say that, but. I was going to, I was going to, we set our cameras to watch that one neighbor who we thought might have been we, yeah, peddling a little drug action, true. but well, yeah. who knows what You happened. never know. <laughs> you, it's just never a dull and moment. And in, in that sense, we were all, you know, um, decades ago. I mean, that was, you know, 15 years ago for us when we moved, 16 when we moved on the block, 17 when we moved on, gosh. And at one point there were like, 12 kids under the age of 12, you know, riding bikes. It was really a safety hazard in many regards (laughs) to just drive on Windsor. Just block off the street. Well, yeah, then we would just do that. We wouldn't file for the permit. We would just put, I'd put my my Suburban down by your house, Don, and block (laughs) it that way. And then we put the cones that we procured from the gas company because they left them there. And we can't just leave it there. So yeah. we, st- I think we took them to our new house. Now we still, you have those we cones. Might. We might have our cones. And we would just shut it down. <laughs> it's just the way you do it. But so Don, tell us a little bit. You're, you, you have private practice, but you're also at Baylor working mm-hmm. with college students. Tell us a little bit about what you do. I work in the Baylor Counseling Center as the um, addictive behavior specialist. And so I just work with Baylor students in that capacity. It's my full-time job. And then on the uh, weekends, I have a part-time private practice. I work mostly with sex addicts and their spouses. And so I may do a group or individual, or I may do some couples counseling, but I'm mostly, I'm a certified sex addiction therapist. And I'm the only one that I know of in our area. So Mm -hmm. from about Waxahachie down to Cedar Park, maybe Louisiana to Abilene. Mm -hmm. And so I want to make that available to the community because of like what you said, that Bad actions do not necessarily make a bad actor. Mm. And so these are human beings who um, have addiction and have dependency and have problematic sexual behavior. And we need to help them just like anybody else that has issues and problems. And so that's what I do in my private practices do that and help start some uh, sex addiction anonymous mm-hmm. groups and sexaholics anonymous groups. and. So we now in our community have four or five um, support groups and it's just needed just as much as an alcoholic or a drug addict would need. Which is interesting because usually when you hear the word addiction, you immediately, I don't know if it's just because that's how we're ingrained here in America, but when I hear the word addiction, I immediately go to alcohol and drugs. It was like the first two words that rise up. You don't ever think mm-hmm. sex. Mm-hmm. So... I guess my my first question is is would you would you say there's a there's a uh, a correlation between those addiction types are there some similarities between drug and alcohol and sex and its effect on the brain and the body right so the very same part of the brain is affected by the release of dopamine so it goes up to the frontal cortex and overwhelms the pleasure center of the brain 
And so the, you know, specifically the ventral tegmental area and the nucleus accumbens, that's kind of the pleasure cycle, those three together. And genetically, we're set up for different things to create that kind of pleasure for us. Mm -hmm. And so where one person might be gambling, another person it might be food, another person it might be shopping, mm -hmm. eating pills, having something to drink that's a drug, sex, porn, even love. Mm -hmm. So the survival instinct of the midbrain, uh, it only cares about the next 15 seconds of life, and it's just looking for basic survival drives of eating, uh, having sex, and defending itself. Mm -hmm. So anytime you have a pleasurable huh. experience, the midbrain assigns a survival value to that experience. You so know, those are the three things oh, yeah. from a survival perspective we're looking for. Right, the top three. Top three. Right, and so most, most things fit into that, but it's there is a part of our brain that only cares about the next 15 seconds of life. And it's kind of got a, a child ego state. It's yeah. about like working with a five-year-old. I want what I want when I want it. I don't care what it costs me or mm -hmm. what the consequences are. So that's what's the difficulty is that pleasure circuit, pleasure center of the brain has been overwhelmed mm -hmm. by a flood of dopamine. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, there's a lot of pretty cool things. We're going to know so much more because we can do so much more with the yeah. technology that we have so we can do functional MRIs mm -hmm. and in live time. Now. So that's the answer to your question is you have somebody that could take a drink or eat a pill or look at porn and you do the brain scan and the same areas of the brain mm -hmm. are lighting up mm -hmm. because dopamine's hitting the very same center of the pleasure mm -hmm. center. So it looks exactly the same on the brain scan. Okay, so I have a question. So... Is that pleasure center of the, of the brain for, because there's a, there is some conversation about how, well, sex addiction, there's no such thing as really sex addiction, right? There's people, there's doctors, there's physicians who like want to deny that this is an actual addiction. And so what they would say is like, this is bad behavior that's led to bad habits, but there's really no like chemical you know, where, where you're saying, no, actually, like what we're learning about the brain is that this is that the dopamine levels increase like adrenaline dopamine, like dump in the brain to keep you coming back for it. Are there some people like with alcohol or drugs are going to be like genetically predisposed to have that chemical compound that wants the drugs and the alcohol? Are there those who are wired in our DNA and our very makeup to have higher spikes of dopamine when we have sex? Like, do, does everybody get the same rush when you're viewing porn or taking a hit of crack, for lack of terms? No, we don't, we don't think that everybody uh, handles it the same way. And that's why you have some people that, even drug addicts, that would like uppers instead of downers. Mm -hmm. And so somebody would be like, I, I never touched that stuff. That never appealed to me. It didn't make me feel good. It wasn't the high that I was looking for. Mm -hmm. But... but Smoking, you know, every every ounce of pot I could find mm -hmm. was my thing. Mm -hmm. So anything, um, the, the terminology matters in terms of insurance and med, uh, medication and treatment and mm -hmm. those type of things. But if you just say problematic sexual behavior, mm. money, uh, health, relationships, and career... If you're having negative consequences in those, any of those areas or all four of them, mm -hmm. then you're going to want help. Yeah. And your, your life's going to be 
basically, you know, the first step is to admit that my life is unmanageable mm-hmm. and that I'm helpless to fix it on my own. Mm-hmm. So if you get to that point, it's because your finances, your relationships, your health, and your career, sometimes all four, have, have tanked. Yeah. And so I'm not going to argue with somebody about whether they aren't a sex addict or not mm-hmm. because there's so much um, social currency mm-hmm. that goes along with that. Mm-hmm. So why are you, why are we meeting? Yeah, because exactly. uh, about to get divorced, lost my job, <laughs> right? Wrecked my health, wrecked my finances. Mm-hmm. Okay, well you're looking for help. You're motivated, and now it's time to do something about it. Mm-hmm. So, but um, more and more research. In fact, the last probably three years, we have all that um, a significant amount that wasn't there five years ago. We mm-hmm. have a significant amount of studies that are done now that kind of mm-hmm. show that there's a genetic predisposition to different things. So you could be like a, a genetic low responder to alcohol. Mm-hmm. And that basically means you're born with a high tolerance. Mm-hmm. So a high responder would take a drink and be like, oh, that's enough for me that I I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, have the pleasure or the high that I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. The low responder, they might drink a six pack just to get started yeah, wow. because it hasn't hit their, you know, their pleasure center the same way. Okay, And so some people love the risk of gambling and the high-risk-reward high mm-hmm. paradigm. Some people like to jump off Yeah, mountains. those adrenaline junkies. Right. Yeah. Some people, um, it's about the powerful security and, and survival um, messages mm-hmm. that the brain gets from being in love. Mm-hmm. So they just routinely mm-hmm. want to fall in love with every new person that they're around, whether they're married or not. Or, mm-hmm. um, and some people want the fantasy and escapism. Some people want to slow way down. Some people want to speed way up. Mm -hmm. So it's that genetic factor is determining what kind of reward you get. Mm -hmm. The reward is tied into the memory that you make of it. Mm. The memory is there when you're under stress because Mm -hmm. then it's like the midbrain goes through the Rolodex and goes, I like porn. Go get me some porn. Where another person's Mm -hmm. like, I like pills. Go Mm -hmm. get me a pill. Or I want to slow down or I want to speed up or I want to fit a fast thing Mm. so all it's like russian stacking dolls Mm. all four Mm. of those factors Mm. now go into the choices Mm. that i make Mm -hmm. so you look at somebody's behavior um like an epstein and you go how could that happen how could you do that how could you get there well you have a genetic predisposition for that kind of activity to cause that kind of powerful reward Mm. my brain codes in that memory as a hyper memory and so under stress and pressure, craving goes up. So that's the thing that my brain is looking for before I'm even aware of it. And now, mm. the um, so the kind of choice I'm going to make is based on, here's my automatic stress response that I've mm. practiced mm-hmm. over and over and over again. So now it's impulsive and you make a habit out of that. It's compulsive. Mm. So I'm doing it without even thinking. Because what you're talking about when you're talking about like midbrain activity is that that's when you talk about flipping the lid, your prefrontal cortex is kind of offline, quote unquote, you know, that you're tapping into that like primal Mm -hmm. trauma response part of the brain, maybe your earliest kind of limbic brain system. Is that right? So, So for him to be able to get to that point, he is he just really kind of consciously functioning in that, um, yeah, that midbrain 
activity or is there some point where it's like he's cognitively aware of, of this? Well, that's the, that's the trouble, right? Is that it's not uh, a conscious thing. By the time it gets to making a conscious choice about it, I've got my response and the kind of reward and memory are pushing me into my stress response mm-hmm. without even it being <clears throat> without even being conscious. Okay. And then I'm compulsive about it, so I'm not going to get up into the frontal cortex, whereas I assign meaning and mm-hmm. consider consequences. Mm-hmm. So that's the impulsivity of it. I'm just going to go ahead and mm-hmm. get into that same routine. Mm. I'm kind of on autopilot. Mm-hmm. And so what if you're that reward, like this is where I think in Epstein, it's really an interesting study because for me, I'm looking at the the reward of his behavior and the fact that several high profile, like a list that we will never know, like at this point, you know, we'll know some, but we won't know all, but that kind of like, he is consciously being rewarded for trafficking and abusing young girls, like from a, from very powerful, like it, it has a currency to it. There is power. He's liked, he's accepted he's asked to continue in this behavior from very influential people who are quote, helping the world and making millions. Um, when you have to wonder too, is there also a power addiction mm. involved? I don't know if I can use that phrase power addiction, but I mean, if you're, if you're making that kind of money and you're rolling with those kind of high rollers, you kind of you operate at a different space than the rest of us do mm-hmm. because you can, rent islands and yachts and money is no object. So, you know, one of the things I read was the way that he treated the girls, Mm. treated them as objects because he, you know, threw hundreds at them and he knew that they didn't have any money. Mm -hmm. And so for, for him, he probably didn't even view them as people. They were just servants. Just do what I tell you to do. It's transactional. Mm -hmm. You know, it's very similar to, some of the guys that we've seen in Stop Demand, I mean, their their mindset is it's just a transaction. Mm-hmm. Like, it, you're a box of cereal. I want mm-hmm. Cocoa Pebbles. I want Rice Krispies. Mm-hmm. You know, that that's it. And so I wonder if if that power that he's rolling in has given him way to, to even to move that way. Because, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, who knows how it started for him? Did it start at childhood? I mean, can you trace, Don, do you think a lot of addiction... Back to childhood, or, I mean, I don't know. Right, so if you look at early attachments, there's a lot of powerful stuff there. And we consider most addictive behavior as a trauma reaction. Mm -hmm. And so stress drives up craving. And to be involved in something like that easily, if you have a high level of opportunity, which is what you're talking about, I'm encouraged to do this, and high craving there's nothing to stop you, mm-hmm. right? Because my midbrain is saying, I love this. This is the most pleasurable thing I know. Mm-hmm. And I have all this opportunity. Mm-hmm. So when you're trying to help somebody, you try to take away opportunity and you try to help them learn how to uh, manage their stress so that when it is, they can lower their chance of, because I could have just a little bit of opportunity, but really high craving mm-hmm. and still it'd be hard not to act out. Mm-hmm. Or I could be doing pretty good but go to Vegas mm-hmm. and have it all around me, mm-hmm. you know, or to his island, 
Mm-hmm. So some of these people might um, act out in ways that they wouldn't anywhere else because they're in an exclusive situation. They don't even have that much stress in their life or mm-hmm. craving, mm-hmm. but they have a little bit and all this opportunity. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes you, you think, gosh, I, I never believed that that person would have done that thing. <laughs> it's like, well, they had just a tiny bit of craving. Their midbrain said, I like sex. Mm-hmm. And then it overwhelmed by opportunity. Right? Mm. It's like, well, it's really difficult not to participate in that because everybody else was. There's millions of dollars around. Mm-hmm. It's all about pleasure. Nobody will ever know. Mm-hmm. So it makes it very difficult. And that's why there is such a great demand, right? Mm-hmm. Because there's a lot of stress and craving going mm-hmm. on. And then opportunity yeah. is there too. When you have both of those are high, you're going to have mm-hmm. people that act out. And I think the opportunity is is part of what, you know, we've been seeing just over the past 15 years of working on the supply side of this issue is that um, there this billion dollar multi-billion dollar industry sets up opportunities. And one of the ways that we know is doing it now, in the 80s, it was strip clubs. 80s were great in gentlemen's clubs and cabarets. You know, you think of like... Uh, national lampoons like Vegas vacation or, you know, even in media, the way that the eighties were portrayed and, um, patriarchy in full effect and, you know, all of that. And it was culturally acceptable. And now what we're seeing is that, you know, it's, it may be harder, especially in smaller communities because if there's some awareness of exploitation now, there's some awareness of these things happening, but now it's all online. Now we have social media. Now we have porn in the palm of our hands. And so the op and marketers know that. And, you know, the people who own these billion dollar companies, they're not dumb. I mean, it's like we're the ones getting played because we're not making money off of this. You know, the general public is not making money off of their porn addiction. (laughs) Like the powers that be are knowing how do we increase the opportunity? How do you make it easier to buy sex? And I think that's what we see on the supply side is becoming dangerous and on the demand side because it, it is easier in some ways. Right, and we used to, we used to call people pushers mm-hmm. who would go into a neighborhood and give out dime bags mm-hmm. for free. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all free for a while until you get people hooked on it, and then yeah. they want more and they have to have it because they're, compulsively seeking after it and then they'll pay whatever they can they start getting money however they can just to be able to score the next time Mm -hmm. so we even have a little bit of admiration for these billionaires you know that are able to make so much money they're just pushing Mm -hmm. they're just pushing a new drug Mm -hmm. so even the idea you know there's an organization called fight the new drug that Mm -hmm that wants people to understand this, the same kind of dynamic is happening here. You're getting, I mean, how can, how can the porn industry be a multi-billion dollar industry if they are giving it all away for free? Right. Cause yeah. there's all this free stuff. Right. Well, you go on the site and you look at the same 20 pictures. Yeah. Then that doesn't cause the same amount of pleasure the third or fourth time you look at it. So then you sign up for a, a subscription. Yeah. Cause you get the better stuff. Well, you have access to just, yeah. So much stuff, your point, just about how it just makes it very difficult, right? Mm-hmm. Because you have access to millions and millions mm-hmm. of um, pictures and movies and all mm-hmm. this live stuff and mm-hmm. the um, some very crazy stuff that you can do, yep. mm-hmm. you know, with somebody, <clears throat> tell the dildonics is yep. 
this whole thing. I can put a suit on, mm-hmm. and you can have a suit on, and you can be states away from me, and I can hold my hands, and it feels like I'm holding your hands. Mm-hmm. Wow. And you have, like, Wii controllers that are yeah, basically dildos and... Yeah, and we saw some of that at the Exotica convention when it took place in Dallas a few years ago when I went. And I think one of the things that was overwhelming to me is the number one um, booth that had like the longest line at it with young, young girls like waiting was an app where they could sell pictures of themselves. And these, you had to be 18 to get in. But I'm going to say most of the girls in this line were under 21 for sure. I mean, these were young, like Hattie could have passed as an 18 year old, you know, my oldest daughter. And, and it was just like, wow, this has the most traction, not the, not come get an autograph from a porn star. It was all these young girls waiting to sell themselves. And you know, and, and so I went up and talked to the app. I mean, I was just curious. I was like, what, what is this? And she said, oh, we're, you know, we're an app where we put all the power in, um, in the woman. We're, we're about female empowerment. I was like, really? And I was, she goes, yeah, what do you do? You know, and so I told her what we did. And so she was like, oh, man, we would love to partner with you. <laughs> I was like, Really? And she goes, yeah, all you have to do is if you want to sell like an ad to your ministry, if you want to sell an ad to that on our tech support and, and we'll, we'll set you up to do that. So she was going to take money from me to get to advertise because here's the deal. She saw that long line and she knew these women are signing up a dime a dozen. There's no shortage of people getting out. It doesn't matter. I mean, I could have an ad on there all day long, but as long as that girl is making money off her picture, there's no short supply. Right. You know? Right. And that's the worst kind of excuse for guys who you say, well, you're objectifying women. And they're like, she wants to. She signed up and put her picture out there. Mm-hmm. She's making money off of it. She's, she's a mm-hmm. provider. I'm mm-hmm. just the consumer. Mm-hmm. You know, don't get mad at me for buying what somebody's selling. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's a crazy messed up. Mm-hmm. Well, and we hear that all the time at Stop Demand School. Yeah. I mean, half the room will say that very thing. It's like, why did I get arrested? She, why didn't she get arrested? Because mm-hmm. she put her name out there and she's just as guilty as I am. So why am I the one arrested, but she's not? Mm-hmm. And, you know, go, go, going back to um, opportunity, which I, I think is an interesting thing. Um, if you have just a little bit of, you know, a little bit of craving, but you have a lot of opportunity, look mm-hmm. out because that may be a very combustible moment. I think I just heard the other day there's a major oil company convention that's going on in a large city in our state, and they actually rent out strip clubs and bring in escorts to service the employees. Who, and it's all company money provided for. So so you may have this 30-something-year-old oil guy who works in Iowa coming to the big city in Texas, and he's coming to his company's mm-hmm. conference, and he's happily married, but he's going to be in H-Town for a week. And Well, then, and it's not just even the opportunities increase, but then think about like the pressure and the power 
that's there if if this is the expectation for him to maintain his job. Right, because he's hanging with his like, supervisor. Exactly. And they're going to go to the strip club because it's You're on the company nickel. You don't go and, yeah. I mean, so now you do have this high, crazy yep. amount of opportunity that has been mainstreamed now. An expectation. And An so ex- now the lines of company and, I guess, civility have now been blurred because, you know, mm-hmm. it's the company providing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's really an unfortunate, um, I think, I want to say like conundrum, but really I think America overall with our greed and the opportunities we have for overindulgence in every area is so excessive and all of us are already predisposed to whatever that trauma response is going to be, whatever it is, that the thing that we're going after um, America is all about providing all the opportunity it can. And, um, okay. So my, one of my questions is one of the reasons I think it's hard with particularly food addiction and sex addiction is that those two things make the world go round. Like you can't get around like, well, I guess you can if you choose celibacy or something, but right. most so, sobriety from those two things are almost impossible. Okay, so so how do you manage? I guess that how do you how do you really like promote healing in terms of like? Um, I mean, is this is this where it really is about the work of self, the self worth um, of the individual? Well, it's I mean, it's one of the reasons that I. I'm always thankful for an invitation to the Stop Demand School is because I come in and I talk about healthy sexual expression. Mm-hmm. Because to to drop one thing, I have to have something else to pick yeah. up. I have to have a healthy obsession to give mm-hmm. up my unhealthy obsession. Mm-hmm. And so this may sound a little weird, but I'm I'm more thankful for my recovery, my addiction, than anything else mm-hmm. in my life because it taught me who I am, mm-hmm. how much I'm loved, what I can and can't do, what's important, my true value, that I belong. All these things that I know mm-hmm. that are the major truths of my life came in recovery from yeah. my addiction. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, one, the only saving thing about the convention, you know, that the company's paying for is that I know it's not going to be satisfying or fulfilling. Mm-hmm. And so uh, if it was, I, I would give up. You know, if that's where you found everything you were looking for, I'd be like, well, what am I supposed to do? Mm-hmm. But in our brokenness and in our emptiness and in our loneliness, we ask really good questions. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of a duh type question, but like, would you like to be more peaceful about your sexuality? Mm-hmm. Would you like to be fulfilled and satisfied mm-hmm. in who you are, to have a sense of true belonging, to, to really know that you're valuable? Mm-hmm. It's like, well, of course, that's what I'm looking for mm-hmm. from this easier, uh, faster source, although it betrays me every time. Mm-hmm. So if you talk to compulsive sexual behavior or sex addicts or problematic sexual behavior, you talk to people, you say, are you satisfied and fulfilled in your life no i'm i'm in prison 
to this thing, you know. I mean, it has now, may have started at the convention, but now I'm going to strip clubs all the time or I'm mm-hmm. looking for this or that high, kind of high. So I have conversations all the time about freedom, peace, hope, mercy, grace, mm-hmm. joy, um, and, and quite a bit about healthy sexual expression mm-hmm. and, and what that takes. And, and a lot of times it takes some integrity mm-hmm. and some maturity, mm-hmm. which turns out is what we really want, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like if, if I had a store where you could buy that, the line would be <laughs> out the door too, right? But right. probably that's going to be that um, very difficult experience that brings me to the end of myself to mm-hmm. admit I need something better than mm-hmm. what's not mm-hmm. fixing my life. So I think that, and the problem of getting to a place like you're essentially, you're blessing the addiction. You're, you're able at this point to say it is, it is the source of now overcoming it is, or living with it, accepting it, right? Like is the source of my freedom to, to be able to bless and accept it. Whereas most people trapped in addiction cycles are so full of shame. Right. And I, you know, I would say that I even somewhat glory in my weakness. Mm-hmm. I, I, I celebrate the fact that I know that I am weak mm-hmm. and that given high opportunity mm-hmm. and a lot of craving, I have to be really careful because yeah. um, my humanness is not enough. I don't trust my humanness. I don't ask my wife to trust my humanness, mm-hmm. but I can trust God. Mm-hmm. And so if you see God doing something in my life, you can trust it. Mm-hmm. And so my higher power is critical to the mm-hmm. transformation process. And, and I'm just glad I, I can admit freely mm-hmm. I need a higher power. Mm-hmm. I need something greater than myself to be able to have some sanity yeah. and have some opportunities and some choices. And there is a peace that can come that is satisfying. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, when you eat my mom's a Greek cook and after like Sunday lunch, She'd be like, you want another piece of pie? I'd be like, as good as that is, I just can't take another bite. <laughs> I'm, I'm full. I'm satisfied. High opportunity. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's right there, but the, right. the difference is I'm full. Mm. So I'd be like, you know, later on when I'm starving, that would be very hard to turn down. Yeah. But yeah. I have something else that's fulfilling and satisfying, which is that I had all this healthy food, mm. right? Maybe a little too much, but still healthy food. And so I'm satisfied. I don't need the third piece of pie. Mm -hmm. So the hope is that I know that nobody's going to be satisfied or fulfilled in all that opportunity and craving that's out there. And so when they're ready, Mm -hmm. then we have something fantastic to offer them, Mm -hmm. which is a a healthy sexual expression and some integrity and Mm -hmm. some growth and maturity Mm -hmm. and um, some peace and security and relationships mm-hmm. and things like that. So it's like, I wasn't ready until I was ready, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But when I was ready, then I could say, well, this is this is the vehicle that brought me to mm-hmm. the best of everything in my life mm-hmm. was that I can't do my life on my own. It's not about me. Mm-hmm. There's something greater than myself. Mm-hmm. And so now I'm not thankful for the hurt that I caused. Right, right. And I had some bad actions. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, bad actions from addicts are mm-hmm. devastating and hurtful and annoying and 
no good. And I hurt myself more than I hurt mm-hmm. maybe everybody else combined. Mm. And so never say I'm thankful for that, but I'm more thankful mm. for the truth that's come out of mm-hmm. my recovery than anything else because it's brought me to the truth of who I am and mm-hmm. what's available in a relationship with God and the freedom that I have in a higher power and a way to express myself with healthy sexuality. Mm-hmm. So I, I didn't stop eating. I didn't stop having <laughs> right, sex, right? right? I just have to have a better relationship mm-hmm. with those things that used to be mm-hmm. more out of control and devastating and hurtful. And mm-hmm. so. Yeah. I've heard it said that, and Brett, you may have some more questions, but um, I've heard it said that trauma is like kerosene on addiction, that, you know, all of us at some level probably have experienced trauma in our childhood. But when you compound that with um, a genetic predisposition or your, um, well, being raised by alcoholics or someone who abandons or is mentally or physically abusive is trauma. But if you've got that genetic component and then you compound it with an experience or a circumstance that is traumatic, it becomes like kerosene. So it's kind of like what came first, like the addiction or the trauma, but we haven't met anyone in who's working actively on their recovery that doesn't have an experience of trauma that like gasoline lit that fire, you know? Um, anyway, just an interesting, I'm sure, factor for us to consider. Not just everything is so physiological and, and you know, chemical that there's a lot of emotional and abandonment and mm-hmm. traumatic and abuse that goes into fueling the sense of not really belonging in the first place, you know? The, the, uh, one of the worst things that trauma does is it colors my perspective with fear. Mm-hmm. And so I have this fear perspective. And so I'm afraid I'm always going to be lonely. I'm afraid I'm never going to be with somebody that, that's meaningful. I'm afraid I'm not going to, have a happy life. I'm, fr- I'm afraid of being lonely the rest of my life. If you take that person that has a fear perspective, I fear, I fear, I fear, that's single and lonely, and then you bring a person into their life, now they're afraid you're going to leave me mm-hmm. and our love's not going to be enough and mm-hmm. I'm going to be lonely again. And so it's like you have to be careful what it is that you're looking for that helps you deal with that trauma. Mm-hmm. Because we have to have something different than just another chance to be afraid. Mm, and so that's good. the fear perspective, it's like a piece of brown glass. You pick up the brown glass and everything looks pretty crappy. Mm. You know, I, I need some different perspective. Mm. And so I think that that's what the power of community and, yes. and recovery is that I get a picture, a different picture from being around other people that want the same thing that I do. And I go, this is this is a little bit different mm-hmm. color of glass, a little different lens to look through. There's some hope in here. Mm. There's some people that have, mm. uh, you know, some something to offer me. I'm not the only one. Mm. And actually caring about them and wanting them to succeed helps me want to succeed. Mm-hmm. And then I have this identity development piece that is so important in dealing with trauma because trauma has been identifying me, right? Yes. And so then I'm not a fearful idiot uh-huh. that can only mess up. Uh-huh. I am a person in recovery uh-huh. that admits I need help, 
mm-hmm. and I, I know where to ask for it, mm-hmm. and I'm going to live into it today. Mm-hmm. So it, it gives me a plan. It gives me a, a hope, and it's like I don't know anybody who recovers all by themselves. No. So mm-hmm. the value of what you guys do is so important because you give a, people a place to belong, mm-hmm. and it gives them a different perspective than that trauma perspective or that fear perspective. Oh, I could be valuable mm-hmm. because I belong. Mm-hmm. And you know, I know you, we've talked about this mm-hmm. a lot, but this that's why we have to get off the behavior. Totally. I love. Can you just walk our listeners See the, through? This is when we need a whiteboard for podcasts. I, I don't know. know how you do that. Well, again, we can put it up on the website. We can draw this visual and put it up. But our, years ago, you came to one of our JSL trainings and you'd been using the three circles kind of for a long time. But um, explain to us, if you can, even visually, those three kind of interlocking horizontal, if you can picture three circles that are interlocked, so one in the middle and then two on either side that are moving kind of horizontally, and then explain what those three circles are. Right, so the, the circle on the left is behavior, and it's linked into the middle circle, which is value, or what we believe about ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so... Behavior in our culture is the biggest factor just on the surface about why somebody's valuable or not. Mm -hmm. And for men, men get their value from sexual conquest, financial success, and athletic ability. Mm -hmm. And so if you don't have those three things, Mm. then it's hard to get to that last circle that you belong with the good men Mm. or you're a good man or you're a successful man. Mm-hmm. because you're, it's all based on comparison. Mm-hmm. And so I'm behaving for value in order to belong. So belong is the circle on the right. Mm-hmm. So as an addict, I have a big X in the behavior circle <laughs> because I've messed up my life and hurt a bunch of people. Mm-hmm. And my striving for value has increased my craving for mm-hmm. acting out in my addiction because now I'm reacting to the failure messages I'm getting by tw- wanting to escape with whatever my drug of choice is. So I have to have something to balance it. And, and so if I start in the right-hand circle, which is belonging, mm-hmm. now I can go to a, a 12-step meeting and I say, I'm Don, I'm an addict. And they say, we're glad you're here. Mm-hmm. So well, I really screwed up today. My my wife wants to divorce me. I'm about to lose my job. And they say, well, we've all been there, Don. Mm-hmm. And the price, the admission ticket to come into a 12-step meeting <laughs> is that you screwed up and that you admit that you need help. So now I get to value from belonging. Mm-hmm. And they still care about my behavior. Yeah. So they still care about the circle on the left. But now we're addressing behavior like, Who's your sponsor? What meetings are you going to? Do you have a job? Are you going to counseling? What are your other mm-hmm. you know, healthy behaviors that you're going to try to build in? Now I'm behaving from value mm. instead of for value. Yes. And I'm always going to have a certain amount of the behavior-based value because like, if I don't show up at Baylor for a couple of weeks, they won't let me work there anymore. Right. <laughs> right? So we have a behavior-based system. I just need that belonging-based value Mm. to help balance out. And that middle circle, that value, is is where it's at for us. Mm -hmm. That's that's our 
self-esteem that you were talking Mm -hmm. about. That's my identity piece. That's what I believe about Mm -hmm. myself. Mm -hmm. So what's happening is our behavioral invalidation Mm -hmm. has misidentified us. And so I have to come back in with that belonging. And sometimes, you know, my sponsor or my mentor or my boss or my friend or my coach or my counselor, they really are, you know, Jesus with skin on because they become that belonging piece for me that that gives me value just because I showed up today. Yeah. And then we still care about behavior, Mm -hmm. but we're going to take the value that we have in that relationship and address the behavior. So some people say, well, those addicts are just lazy, undevoted people, can't make good decisions. Well, give them belonging. Yeah. And they will begin to work out the devotion part. Yeah. That that makes me think of the church. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, how much and, of all the things, right, that we're doing. Right. If we just give people a, sp- a space of belonging, that's yeah. the launching point. Yeah, we've made behaviors determine what church you can belong to. Mm. And we've also, you know, as far as belief systems or said, okay, behave this way, value the same things we value. Like you, you've got to subscribe to this set of beliefs in order to belong. So then if I get into this circle of belonging and I start questioning the values or questioning the belief structures. And then I start kind of asking the question. So now I'm behaving like a rebel, but I'm really not. I'm really just maybe a little curious about why we've all subscribed to this notion. Then I don't belong anymore. Then you're a heretic and you're outside of the circle of belonging. Um, I love the believe, belay, believe, what am I saying? Behave, Behave, believe, believe, and belong. belong. I love that because, um, we say I'm in my own recovery, my Al-Anon, you know, group. And one of the things, Macrina Whitaker is a a nun and she, she's written several books, but I went on a retreat to learn from her. It was a silent retreat. I didn't know that when I signed up for it initially with my best friend. And uh, so we couldn't talk for the whole three days, but every session she would begin by saying, you begin at beloved. You begin at beloved. And so it's like, and Al-Anon teaches, I mean, the same thing. It's the, tw- it's the same 12 steps, right, that we want the addict, but we realize we're sick too. Mm. We're really control freaks and perfectionists, and our drug is fixing people. Right. And so um, if I know that my worth then isn't on how I behave, if I know that my worth isn't based on any kind of circumstance that I just begin at beloved, I can make better life choices from there, I can just whew, let go. So much easier. So in our in our remaining minutes, Don, I want to ask you this. I want your thoughts on this because you're a man, I'm a man. We know that the, the number one buyer of commercial sex is white college-educated men. So if, that, if that's the case, that's the number one buyer. So that means that's the number one people group that can actually change the issues, the unhealthiness that's going on here. Why don't men stand up more for these issues? Why do we hear women talking about it? And we hear women, you know, raising the flags of, you know, we've got to do something about this and the Jeffrey Epstein's of the world and the this and the that. Why aren't we hearing more from men? Do you think? Um, because they're, they feel shame about the issue. 
And they're afraid that if they say, uh, this is wrong, somebody's going to say, well, what about you? Have you ever lusted after somebody? Mm. And it goes back to that behavioral uh, comparison and behavioral evaluation of them. And they know in their heart that they've screwed up and that they've had problems and that they've mistreated women, at least with their attitudes, and, you know, they've abused their privilege. And so it's, it's, um, it's why white men don't do a lot of things, hmm. is that there's fear that I'm the enemy in this situation and people are going to blame me for all the problems, and I don't have a clue how to engage in a, in a positive way. And so um, the, the most traction that we have, right, is to offer a healthy alternative. And so, um, you know, Richard Ward writes and talks a lot about, you know, the um, initiation rights of manhood and things like that. And um, if you really want to be involved in a positive way, then you want to be able to be around other men and offer them space and belonging to ask hard questions and to develop and invest in uh, the next generation. So how do we raise healthy, um, respectful, and um, valued men? So the men's movement and men's groups and men's retreats and books on men and things like that is probably the place where, where a lot of us go to to try and figure out what is what is an appropriate response to this whole thing. Mm. Because we we have a lot of guilt and shame that we're dealing with and we don't know how to engage. And we're afraid that if we do engage, somebody's going to, well, let's talk about your history. Mm-hmm. And again, that's one of the reasons that I'm outspoken about my own addiction and my own history and my own story and mm-hmm. that I glory in my weakness because... Actually, God's going to bring a lot more people to the truth of his love through my weakness than they ever would my strength. Mm. So somebody would say, well, I'd have a good marriage, too, if I had a Ph.D. in marriage and family therapy. And I was married to Luana Arterburn. She's (laughs) wonderful, you know, and she's a counselor, too. I'd say, well, come live with us for a week. (laughs) And you see that we have just as many issues as everybody else does. We have to deal with the same Mm. money, kids, Mm in-laws, sex time issues as everybody else does but if I say this is a big issue and I'm really confused about how to be helpful and I've done some damage myself then everybody in the room goes yeah Mm -hmm. me too right so what do I do how do I well invest in the belonging part Mm -hmm. of your relationships and get past the surface level um, pissing contest that Mm -hmm. you do with most men and have a heart-to-heart and just say, where are you struggling? Where am I struggling? Let's see if we could stand together in a sense of belonging and find out the real truth and value of each other and see if we can move forward because these are some really important issues that are affecting all of us. Because I'll go with somebody else and go stand up, you know, at a pride parade or at a mm-hmm. um, women's rally or at a stop-demand situation or something like that um, much faster than if I just do, it's just me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm afraid somebody's going to mm-hmm. single me out mm-hmm. and, and reject me for the mistakes that I've made. Mm-hmm. 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 I think that's, um, 
I think that's so good. And it's my mind is just kind of blowing over here because on, on one side of my head, I'm hearing promise keepers and we're men and, you know, men of faith and, you know, men of strength. And, and I, it, but on, on, on what I'm hearing you say over here, there's a, there's more of a space for tenderness, more of a space for, I can actually wrestle with some things. And that, that's actually where the strength is. It's not this penis power over here, this great big, it, which, which then leads me to like, that, that's why we excuse locker room talk. And we just say men will be men and sure, grab them by the pussy because that's just what men do. Mm-hmm. When, instead of saying no, but not no from a space of shame. No from a, a place of let's, let's, let's bring that back. Right, and I think I think the challenge is right is to hold the tension and not be um, paternalistic and mm-hmm. abuse the power that I have as a white male, educated white male, or give up and be um, what would not be attractive to any man, and <laughs> that would be to um, be castrated and seen as. A non-man. Or right. any healthy woman. Not attractive either way. Yeah. Just so, human humanity. Right. So I'm, I'm going to hold the tension and say, I want to be authentic. And I want to be able to say I have some weaknesses and I have some strengths. I'm a whole person. And I want to take ownership. This is my life. And so um, that's that's the thing. That's the goal for me in my own life and in all the people that I work with is how do you take ownership as a functional adult of the strengths that you have? What do you bring to the table that's really powerful besides athletic ability, sexual conquest, and financial success? <laughs> what do you have? There's, there's a lot of other mm-hmm. great things. And then what are the, um, in all humility, what are the weaknesses and the problem issues and the, and the trouble that you have in your life? So if I only hold on to my strength, the tendency is to be, is to move over into pride. If I only hold my weaknesses, the tendency is to go and be insecure, you know, and despairing. Mm-hmm. So humility is the ability to admit that I have weaknesses and know how to work on them. And then confidence or faith is my ability to say there is strength and power in me. And I want, you know, so it's humility and faith, mm-hmm. humility and confidence gives me that balance. Mm-hmm. So I'm always thinking, kind of how I get up in the morning and this step of humility. I don't really want to go do this. They couldn't somebody else do this today, mm-hmm. but you know, I've done this before and I've held on to it and I've made some progress and I can do this, but I have to be careful because I don't want to get cocky and think it's all about me, but I want to also take confidence that I have a lot to offer mm-hmm. and I have something to say and I uh, can be helpful and I can stand up. Mm-hmm. So that's, it's that, humility and confidence balance mm-hmm. that I think totally gets missed on the extremes of penis power as opposed to um, emasculated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it's very dualistic for sure. It's extreme and it, what you're asking for and what we're longing for is um, takes such courage I mean, it just, it takes such courage to, to ask men to be that vulnerable, to step into a space where you could go to your brother and say, Hey, I, you know, I heard you 
like say this at dinner? Like, what did you, what did you mean by that when you said, you know, those moms who can't handle a suburban cause they, they drive in a car too, too big for what they can handle. Mm-hmm. Like what, what do you mean by that? Where does that come from? Well, it doesn't mean anything, you know, it doesn't, what do you mean? It means they can't handle it, you know? And like you're, you're asking, because if I do that, I'm, I, and I can do that, but I'm like the, the raging feminist, right? right? I'm kind of not heard. I'm kind of the angry woman who's always taking things personally. But if, if my brother does that, and if my brother says, can you unpack what, what you mean here or whatever it is, um, it requires so much courage on, on the, on that end for you guys. Well, yeah. And I also think we've got a, and I, I mean, I'm the number one abuser of this phrase. I was just kidding. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to be honest. I use it to get myself out of trouble sometimes because mm-hmm. I realize I said the wrong damn thing. <laughs> And I feel guilty and I feel embarrassed. And so I knee jerk with, I was just kidding. Because if I say that, you can't get me. I'm on base. I was just kidding. And I think we, we use that way too much. And I think we've got to stop kidding. <laughs> and we've just got to own our stuff. You know, I'm going to say misogynistic things. I don't mean to. It's just going to come out at times. And then I need to learn from that moment when it comes out. Oh, that's what I just did there. I belong to you, Emily. Um, you're not going to divorce me over that. So therefore, <laughs> I don't need to be threatened or scared mm-hmm. that that's going to be the outcome of it. But I need to own it and I need to you know, make amends for it and move forward to, in hopes of not doing it again. Yeah. Um, instead of just sitting with the whole, I was just kidding. It's just I'm so kidding. much easier to say I'm kidding than it is I'm sorry. I'm right. sorry takes so much courage and humility and self-confidence probably just to admit, you know, error. I think it just is an example of strength. I mean, saying I'm sorry is like, Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't know. I didn't even know what I was doing. And so you're like, even just by saying that you're like raising consciousness, you know, because now like we're conscious of what we have to be sorry for, for, or what we have to be sorry about. Well, and, and, Kind of to wrap up here, I think that's one of the thing, the consistent things I hear from the men, from many, not most, not all of them, but many of the men who go through stop demand. By the end of the day, some of them are come up at the end and they're like, "I had no idea. I just truly had no idea what I was participating in." Mm-hmm. And you know, some of them, I don't believe them. You can tell they're they're they've been doing this a long time. They just got caught this time. Some of them genuinely did not realize they're. Mm-hmm. Part- Participating in human trafficking, mm-hmm. like, or um, or Fueling the, the, the harmful effects, yeah. or so on and so forth. So, mm-hmm. um, Don, I can't thank you enough. I have like a thousand more I know. questions. We're gonna I have ask to have you. a part two. Totally, because I, I want to talk about you know parenting and kids and addiction. I know you probably have a lot to say on that, and so we may have to just devote a whole thing to that as well. Because mm-hmm. I know there's a lot of parents listening who would love to know how to help their kids, mm-hmm. you know, because the average age of viewing porn now or introduct, being introduced to porn is eight. Yep. And um, so how do you help these young parents who have eight-year-olds and a bomb in their hand called the iPhone or Android navigate that? So maybe we can do that at a later date. Yeah, and just as a teaser, it's kind of the same answer as what we're talking about here is how you approach and be able to be curious instead of judgmental. 
and say, like, if I have a friend, a guy that comes to me and he, he says, here's confrontation and criticism, I'm really defensive. Mm-hmm. But if he goes, you know, I know the best in you. Mm. And this doesn't fit with that. Mm. I'm curious why you would say something like that about the suburban when Mm -hmm. that's not really who I know you to be. Mm -hmm. That's not really the value Mm -hmm. that I see in you. Mm -hmm. You know, then I'm I'm complimented, right? My Mm -hmm. ego's still safe. (laughs) And, but I want to be curious too. I wonder why. So you do the same thing with the eight-year-old, you know, it's like you can jump down his throat and he's going to think, wow, that was powerful. Don't look at that. Yeah, I want to look at it again. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, What's going on and how's this, you know, I know, I know you, you're mine, you know, mm-hmm. I know your true value and, and, uh, let's talk about it in a curious and open way, mm-hmm. which is so hard. Yeah. You know, we've. Gosh, we have to let go of so much just to be curious. Right. Like, yeah. We're well, so- I love that. Those two words you just said, you're mine. Yeah. And that right there establishes a foundation mm-hmm. of belonging. I mean, I just mm-hmm. had this picture of, you know. My son, mm-hmm. you're you're mine. Mm-hmm. We're, let's talk about it from a place of that. Right. Mm-hmm. That is so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Right. Because you don't want to go back to just coming at it from behavior, right? Mm-hmm. And you evaluate. So mm-hmm. you're you're back in that left circle mm-hmm. where it's all about judging behavior to see if you're valuable or not. We don't we don't do that in this house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm getting the message. I'm probably not supposed to be in this house. Exactly. But if you're mine, exactly. Then I'm mm-hmm. approaching it from belonging, and I'm saying mm-hmm. that does not fit with the, with what's really valuable about mm-hmm. you. And so I don't. I want you to know that that doesn't fit for me with who, mm-hmm. with the truth I know about you. And so. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's good. Well, thank you, friend. Yeah, Thanks, my pleasure. Wonderful. <laughs> Emily? Brett? You did really good today. Really? <laughs> you did. Thanks. Even, I, have a, I have a lot of questions, I always. Do, I do, too. And I've been hearing, I don't know if you can hear it, listeners, but our son is in the yes. office next door to us because he has strep throat. That's right. And he's watching YouTube basketball. <laughs> At least that's what we hope. We're going to go Filters find Filters are out. on. They are. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you for listening. Please remember to leave comments and thoughts and email us if you have questions and We'll put some of what Don talked about on the website so you can see the circles and maybe we'll have Don come back and talk about the addiction cycle because it's just brilliant what he lays out and the tools that you have in, in any kind of addiction that you're dealing with. So Don, thank you. Emily, I love you. Love you too. And friends out there, remember to share the love. Hey, thanks for joining the Jesus Said Love podcast. We are so glad you have chosen to awaken hope and empower change with us. We want to remind you to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and leave us a review Yes, because your voice matters. It's how we get this message into the world. And lastly, be sure to follow Jesus Said Love on Instagram and Facebook for up-to-date info and visit the website at jesussaidlove.com for how you can join the JSL fam. Until next time. Share the love.